Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, delighted to be joined by Martin Fitzgerald, the co-founder and CEO of Quega. Martin, you're very welcome to the show. Delighted to be here, Ian. Thank you for having me. Delighted to have you. Typical fashion of the show, Martin, is we go back to the early days and work away from there. Um, I know you're, I'm going to take a wild guess here because I know you went to Waterford IT. You spent a fair bit of time down in uh, all around Munster working in Clare, Cork. Are you originally from Cork? Yes. What part of Cork did you grow up in and what was life like growing up in Cork? I grew up in Ball- near Ballinspittal, a place called Kilbritton, but people might know Ballinspittal from the moving statues. Uh, so I grew up in a, 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 a rural parish on a farm in uh, Kilbritton, County Cork. And it was good. It was a great upbringing. I mean, went to a small school. Um, I could, the farm, my father was a, a very hard worker. So that probably gave me this, uh, the, and, and a very independent individual. So that probably gave me this uh, urge to, to have my own business. Um, but yeah, it was it was it, it was a good upbringing. It, it it said that your early years uh, play play a pivotal role in who you become later in life, and and you can point people can point to previous guests. This is episode one seventy eight. Previous guests have pointed to people that have had a massive impact on them in their early years that helped them become who they are today. Could be a close friend they're still friends with, uh, a teacher, a relative, a parent. Does anybody in particular spring to mind for you? Yeah, I think my parents, both of them, you know, they, they, they were very hardworking when I was growing up. I think I was probably, uh, when I was a teenager, they started actually taking a night off and milking the cows to go to a wedding. Uh, that was a big event for them because uh, uh, I could do it. When I was, I think I was 21 before they first, first took a weekend away. Wow. Uh, as a holiday. Uh, and it was all just devotion to us, uh, four siblings, uh, four sisters and, uh, and, and the farm. And, and I think that that would have really, I, I, I went working in later years then into the PAE sector and I worked in banks, but I think that really just drove me always that, 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 that image of their own business, their own dedication to it and the hard work. So, and, and both of them, both of them very hands-on on it, as you can imagine on a farm, there's plenty of work to be done always by all of us. So yeah, if you were asking me, I think, I think in terms of those younger years and shaping who I became, um, my parents professionally, then I, I actually went working in AIB Bank after college, I, I, and there I would have worked for there was a, an agricultural advisor. I would have worked under him because that's what I did in college, agricultural science. Yeah, Mick Barry, the man was like a computer in his own head. All the old tricks of, you know, if if, if you're doing a mathematical sum and it ends in seven, then the answer has to contain this digit or that digit. He had all those old ways. Uh, a fantastic analyst in terms of credit risk and analysis and a real expert in his field he would have had a big influence on me as well uh in my early years of my career you mentioned uh, university there i know you went to uh, wit and then later on uh ucd you said you studied agriculture uh i'm assuming it was your upbringing that influenced you to choose that yeah absolutely yeah i think um i probably would have believed at that stage i uh would have gone into farming uh, and I was an only son on a, on a small to average size farm in West Cork. 
So the expectation then still would have been you'll take on the family farm. Yeah. Uh, my mother probably knew better. She probably knew me better than that. So she <laughs> she was the one pushing me to do something in university to go to go. Uh, and so I, I chose agricultural science because I was always going to come back. I thought and take over the farm. But I I I I, I it has to be in you. It ha- you have to have that grow for the land, that urge to, to to farm. I think, and it just wasn't fully there for me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when I when I actually finished college and went back farming. I found after a short period, this you know, I, I I found myself talking to the chickens, and I knew this 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 isn't right for me. I need to be uh, engaged with more people every day, because uh, yeah. it can be a solitary life. Uh, and that's when I, I I moved into banking at that stage. And you spent some time there. You spent seven years in AIB, uh, and then uh, as a, as an agricultural advisor, and then you moved to KBC for just over eight years. You finish up there. Uh, what was it? Leading the retail banking hub for KBC in Cork. So the couple of questions here before we move on to your current position. Uh, was there, when you look back, you can, you can pick KBC or you can pick KBC and AIB as a combination of both. But was there any lessons you learned or skills or behaviors that you improved throughout your 15 years in the banking system that has helped you in setting up your current business? And if so, what are they? Yeah, there's, there's a huge amount of relevant things. I mean, you know, I started out in, in as you said, in AIB as an agri-advisor. So I was in my 20s and I was working with some great experienced people, but ultimately got my own area in, in Limerick and Clare. And I would have been pulled in by the bank branches when there was large farming cases that were requiring funding, for example, a, a loan to buy another farm. Uh, there was larger amounts involved. Or if it was difficult cases and challenging. So if it was, you know, a... a, a financial difficulties on a farm. Uh, so I've had, I had that full experience in my twenties of sitting there literally with, you know, a farmer and a young farmer and a pregnant wife crying at the table because they're in difficulties and you're trying to help them to restructure debt and find your way out of it. So we always said on, on that side, you know, long before the Celtic Tiger came and then businesses got into difficulty and, and banking, we would have seen, we because agriculture was a more mature business in a sense and more stable with ups and downs throughout it um we would have seen difficult cases long before any of our colleagues of a similar age in, in banking did and you learn a lot from that you learn a lot about dealing with people human humans uh, 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 uh there's always a solution you know there's always a, there's always a way out i think that stood to me in later years in the financial cra- crash when i was working in business banking um and also when i went into kbc bank and ultimately got involved with retail banking First of all, business banking and then retail banking, you know, I would have learned so much about different business models, what works, what doesn't work, cash flows, profit and loss, balance sheets, and projections, analyzing businesses, different sectors, and then into retail, managing teams, managing people, building them, training them, recruiting them, driving a sales agenda uh, on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. So all of that really, you know, across in one way, in one sense, a great, a great training ground for going out ultimately and, and, and launching your own business. You must have got a ton of experience from managing teams. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big believer in empowering people from that, of giving them the tools. Give it, you have to get them the right training. You have to get, they have to understand what they're doing. Uh, and, and then you just need to, to empower them to make those decisions. Some will make a lot more good ones than they will bad ones. 
they're the right people. Uh, I think recruited well onto your team. And that's hugely important for us as well in what we're doing now. Um, and, you know, people make mistakes and it's just how you deal with it and learn with them. I'm also a big believer in good processes, you know. Yeah. I, I, I always was that when I, I stood my father and saying on the farm with, you know, suggestions of how we could do things differently <laughs> to the way he'd done them since the 60s. Um, uh, but that's always in me. And uh, I, to this day, still, I, 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 you know, I hate a process that wastes people's time or just adds paper, but I love a process that improves efficiency and, and, and protects people from mistakes. Yeah, for sure. And there's a couple of questions I have around that later on in the podcast. But let's jump into Quega. You're the co-founder and CEO. For those who aren't familiar with it, you'll do a better job at the 30-second commercial. So the mic sure. is yours. Yeah, so Mike McGrath, my co-founder, and I founded Quega last year. So Quega is a B2B platform model business that matches buyers and suppliers in the food and beverage sector here in Europe. So as an example, you know, we do a lot of work, for example, with um, supermarket buying teams uh, and and a growing number of manufacturing buyers. Uh, They use Quega. Quega has features inside in it, such as an ongoing matching where we're matching based on company profiles uh, who set up with us. Uh, the, the, the types of buyers or suppliers they should be engaging with. We take an awful lot of information and we make it easy for them. We solve problems that they have in, 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 in finding each other in short periods of time, uh, the right buyer with the right supplier. Um, we solve problems of uh, getting active buyers and suppliers only engaged to a deal center inside Enquega. We solve problems of communication across borders in Europe um, with translated text instantly in our messaging center. Um, and and, and uh, we're all about just very fast uh, cutting down sourcing times, putting the right people together, and cutting down the amount of time wasted and time wasted. Sounds like your platform, and there's a great video on the website, and I'll link it below where people are watching and listening to this that kind of breaks it down. Saves time, enables trusts, and uh, improves communication if there is uh, 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 breakdown there yeah you know the the trust thing is huge for us you know and yeah. it's it's a piece that we are continuing to try and get our message out there on um like any you know the, the world has changed dramatically in recent years for many reasons including covid so the status quo of how things were handled here with people constantly you know traveling to trade shows in the air uh, trying to find new suppliers or buyers through that or, or, or publications or other engagements or finding themselves on marketplaces where trust is just poor and the results are getting are poor. So we saw a real opportunity to create this platform where trust is at the core of what we do. And we're trying to get that message across to people who still think that our Quega sales agent, no, we're not. Are they looking for commission on deals? No, we're not. We're not trying to insert ourselves into the middle of anything. We're just trying to create great introductions. And if people really like what we do, then they can start paying us. uh, They can upgrade to a premium and and start paying for the service. So what you guys, how you guys make money on your end is not through taking a percentage. It's through a subscription. Exactly. And that's important because a a lot of buyers and suppliers, they're just, we're very wary and tired of sales agents trying to, trying to insert themselves into the middle of deals. Now, they play an important role, agents do in many cases, but that's not what we do. When we, we, we take a subscription model, you can sign up for free, you can set up your profile for free, you can try Quega out for completely free, you can stay for free if you want yeah. to. 
But if you want to do more and more on Quega, that's when you, you know, like any service, then you say, okay, you like you really like what we're doing. So now you're going to upgrade to premium. So let's talk about attaining new customers or new profiles on your website. When you look forward to the next 18 or 24 months, maybe not even 24 months, maybe 12 to 18, how do you plan to go about getting your brand name out there so that more and more people begin to use your platform? Is it conferences, the events that these people, FMGC things are at? Is it uh, marketing? Is it picking up the phone and calling people? Is it tapping into your network of referrals? I know there's yourself, Mike, and there's another, I believe he's a CTO as well. He seems to have an impressive network as well. Talk me through, and I'm sure you two guys as well do, yourself and Mike, but talk me through what it what it looks like over the next 12 months so that you continue to grow. Yeah, so we're at a stage now, so we, you know, we, we went through last year getting our product right and getting yeah. our product market fit correct. And so now we're right where you're talking about in terms of growth. Um, so there's a couple of facets to it for us. Yes, in terms of attending the trade shows, you know, where we were in London recently, we're off to the PL, PLMA now in May and attend, attending these events to let people know about what we're doing. Um, but also there's a big digital marketing um play here for us so we are a two-sided platform so it's very important for us to act in the middle of that platform until we get to full ignition stage as they call it or the, where the, the, the two sides the buyers on one side and suppliers on the other side have such a breadth of numbers and of uh, categories for want of a better word of different types of buyers and suppliers that they really start satisfying everything that get, gets posted where buyers post deals on the platform and um, uh, yeah, that 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 there's enough suppliers to express interest in those on the platform that it fully takes over until we get to there and we will be there this year but until we get to there we act in the middle effectively as a sourcing team because that's 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 mike in particular my co-founder's background as an expert in procurement and sourcing um so we will uh our growth model is around these deals that our buyers post in quega we recruit suppliers onto the platform I mean, we're literally going to suppliers digitally, but we're uh, letting, we've already been marketing them and then we let them know there's a deal on Quega that specifically matches their product or service. And we'll introduce them to the buyer, just set up and, 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 and express an interest in the deal. And on the other side, then we are doing a more direct sales funnel approach, I think with, with, with other buyers. So that's where, in addition to digitally marketing them, we also are reaching out directly because our content is deals. So as buyers set up profiles, they post deals in our deal center. That's where uh, suppliers can view them and express interest in them and, and seek to connect with buyers. We do allow buyers a level of privacy control there, which is very important for them. Um, and that's the growth engine back and forth then around, around getting a cohort of suppliers around certain deals, going to peer buyers to pull them onto the platform. So can also benefit from those suppliers. You're a fan of the Dog Patch Labs pre-accelerator program. Yes, with the NDRC. Talk to me about that. Give them a shout out for other potential. Yeah. There's a variety of people. Absolutely, yeah. This. Yeah, we should. I mean, if, if you're an early stage company, you should definitely, in Ireland, you should definitely uh, apply for the NDRC pre-accelerator. It's fantastic. It was a very well-structured program. It was one evening a week for, I think, six weeks. Uh, well, uh, pretty intense. I think they may have restructured that now. But in terms of really understanding your, uh, your, 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 your product market fit, your benefit to your customer, 
how you tell your story, even mm-hmm. though even down to your pitch deck, your your early your, your initial um, your 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 initial structures around all of that. It's hugely beneficial, um, and and thereafter, you know they. They stay in contact. They, 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 there's a great uh, um, ecosystem there. They, they keep coming back to you with more information, more help. Really, really worthwhile. We took a lot from it. You know, and it really helps you get focused. Really helps you get focused on what's your vertical, what's your product market fit, what 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 value do you bring, and where are you going with this? What I'll do is I'll leave links again to that program below where you're listening or watching to this. There's an article put out, and I'm sure there's many of them over the last couple of weeks, but one, I think it was the 23rd of April. I don't know if it's the 25th or 26th today, but it talked about how you were going to announce a pre-seed round, pre-seed round, a large one in the next couple of weeks or months um, that will enable you to add up to 15 people over the next 18 months. So there's a question I have here on hiring because you've managed teams before in previous roles, and this is not your, this is not your first business, but... There, and I've mentioned this on previous podcasts. There's a great article and study done by Harvard Business Review that, that says, you know, the cost of a bad hire is five times the annual salary, not just through the actual salaries, through missed opportunities and, and things like that. So it's important when you're uh, an early stage startup to, to kind of do your best to get those hires right because they can be massively impactful to the business. When you're going out hiring, how involved are you in the process? Very, it's crucial, and and we're still a small team, so everyone is so important to us. Every hire, uh, that actually that won't change. I mean that, so, so but fully involved right now, absolutely in terms of vetting, in terms of um, getting to shortlists on on resumes, uh, in terms of the interviewing process uh, and checking references, checking references, checking references, because that's something that uh, I think we we. I learned from a previous incarnation that it's so important to follow through on that um, and, and make sure you're, you're, you get very accurate on that. Uh, it's crucial to us. We need, uh, right now, we need very strong generalists, you know, because of the nature of the size of the team. We need people who will, will be flexible with us as a startup. Uh, and while may have a core focus, we'll get involved in other areas as well. Uh, and we need the right mix of people as well, with the right attitude. You mentioned references, and, and I'm, I'm aware through friends having gone for interviews and, and being heavily involved in sales myself is that sometimes when people go for interviews, their best performance in the entire tenure of their career at the company was actually in the interview itself. Um, they, they, I don't want to overemphasize it, but they, but they, they, they hyped themselves up or overhyped themselves and then struggle to deliver to set hype that they think how can you uh do your best to ensure that you can tap into that to see is what they're saying really matching what to what they can deliver if you're hiring someone uh who you can't go back and have a ton of reference checks yeah i i'd welcome uh your thoughts on that too Rian, because it is the challenge isn't it it's uh uh, and you try your best in terms of meetings and interviews to get to know the person, to give specific examples of uh, a project that they've been involved with in their previous work or in their life. Is there, you know, can you see commitment and passion to educate, be it education, sport, hobby, something? That's what I'm looking for in terms of, of, of this person. 
uh, if if you know they can't verify it through references or previous work, you just want I just want to find something like that that gives me an indication that there's a level of 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 passion, self discipline, you know, that they will give it that they'll care about our mission and our our vision and where we're going. Um, uh, it is difficult. If I wish I wish I wish I had all the answers to it. What's yeah. the secret sauce? But that's where, if, if like you say, if you can't see it in references or previous work, because maybe they're younger, and that's where where we find a lot of fantastic, and hopefully we'll continue to find a lot of fantastic people. Um, but then you, you, I just try to, to to look into other areas of their lives. You know, we uh, we always I'm, years ago when I worked as an agri advisor with AIB, and we'd be up in County Clare, and there was lots of many farmers at that stage looking for funding to um, set up poultry units. There was a lot of poultry uh, raising going on up there. And so the only thing you could look at was how their dairy farm operated. Yeah. To, uh, to see whether, how, how would they operate a, a poultry unit? Uh, and it's the same, I think, uh, in, in hiring people now. How have they performed in other areas of their lives? I know, I tell you what, I'm, I'm glad you said that. And I'm sure there's exercises you could do within the interview to kind of test, test them. But there's been guests on this podcast and I've listened to other podcasts where they say, they go purely off gut feeling. Does a person like almost do they like the person? And I'm very glad that you didn't say that you gave a uh, uh, a completely different answer than that. It's not about liking the person. Like, okay, it's great that, but are they going to be a fit for the current team that's involved? Have you tested their references? Have you tested them at the interview to make sure that they're not just all hype? There's 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 more involved than just I like them as a person. I'm going to hire them. Yeah, I remember. Uh... Years ago, many years ago now, I, I, I managed someone for a brief period and fantastic person on a work night out, great character, yeah. great person. Work was just atrocious, <laughs> just, just didn't want to be there, wasn't interested. Uh, but at performance review time, would sculpt the most amazing document. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, 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 was, I would read this document and wish that I could get whoever wrote it for them or if they wrote it to write my performance review document every year. Um, so you can't tell, you just can't, you know, from personality, from liking a person uh, or from, or from uh, something that they, a document like that, just from, from experience I've learned, you need more. Well, you've got a ton of experience. And let's say you were brought back into uh, your old school to give a talk to the students there uh, and the topic was entirely up to you. What topic would you pick? a great question i think you know what i would i would tell them my story about being a 17 year old who felt he had to take over his father's farm had to choose study uh, make choices in life in college that reflected that and uh how i wish someone had taken me aside at that age and said to me look you know it's a bit cheesy but <laughs> You're the best at being you. Uh, no one else can be as good, be as good a Martin Fitzgerald as you can. So learn about who you are, learn about your strengths, and double down on them. And don't spend too much time on your weaknesses. You know we have this thing where you need to find out all your weaknesses and work on them and work on them. You know that's that, that's depressing. <laughs> you know, find your strengths. Find out find out who you really are, and don't you know don't beat yourself up about your weaknesses and double down on your strengths. Great advice. And choices accordingly. With the business that you have, I'm sure there's a lot of tools you use to stay connected with your current team and as you grow and also your clients and prospects. 
So is there a tool out there that you couldn't live without? Well, right now, I think it's, uh, we uh, have people in Pakistan, we have a person in Spain, a person who uh, was in India and probably will be there again shortly. And, uh, and we have, of course, then in Cork. So Slack and is, is very important for us in terms of messaging, in terms of keeping that team connected, Zoom or other video, um, or other video uh, calls. So th th those are very important for us, as well as well we use we use Trello for um, some of the project management. Um, we, we we have used Avian and may use it again. But um, so those would be the key ones really for us: communication and project management tools that we can work collaboratively on. Um, Google Suite probably comes into that in some aspects as well. Final question for you, Martin, is if you were Minister for Education. Uh, you were tasked with adding one new mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum. What subject would you add and why? I don't know how you would define it or, or how you would describe it, uh, but I suppose I would add uh, a subject maybe called entrepreneurial studies um, to, to uh, really, to, to, you know, it's fantastic the uh, journey that we have in Ireland in terms of the IDA, the foreign direct investment, it's been a hugely beneficial to Ireland uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, jobs and high quality of jobs. Uh, I would like to see though, and I think it's coming more and more, uh, strong supports in terms of supporting entrepreneurs as well. Uh, and to that end, that uh, kids coming out of secondary school and indeed college as well, uh, are, 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 are not just totally uh, focused on getting a job, but that, that, that creating their own uh, is also a very strong option for them and they understand that and what it takes or start to. Martin Fitzgerald, the CEO and co-founder of Quega. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I wish you continued success. I'll leave links to your LinkedIn, companies, website, Anything else we referenced throughout the day, the NDRC pre-accelerated program, the two-minute intro video to what Quig is and explains it. If there's anything else you want me to include in, just drop me a message afterwards and I'll put it in. But for today, thanks for being my guest. Rian, thanks for having me. I enjoyed that. The time flew. Uh, but uh, you're very welcome. It's delighted to be here and thanks, thanks for your time. Beautiful morning. Beautiful morning, baby.